Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. We're joined, as always, this week by Stefan Chen. Have you ever been to a monster truck rally? No. Oh, come on. It's so good. <laughs> I've never been to any of the, like, de- demolition derby monster truck. Oh, my gosh. The moment this lockdown ends, we're finding a demolition derby and we'll take all of you to it. Uh, demolition yeah. derbies are so fun. <laughs> they are stupid fun. I went and I was ready to like enjoy it ironically. And then I was like, oh no, this is art. (laughs) Yeah. What's your tagline, Stefan? 68 and freezing. Sam Schultz has also joined us today. Sam, what is the number one top cartoon? Uh, Oh, Batman the Animated Series. That's the best cartoon show ever made, I think. And (laughs) Avatar the Last Airbender are tied for the best cartoon shows ever made. Avatar the Last Airbender might be the best television show ever made. And what's your tagline? It's five o'clock somewhere. (laughs) I'd like this song better if it were posed as a question. Uh, (laughs) Sari Riley has also joined us. And Sari, what's your tagline? It just got very dark in here. That's great. It's a really good tagline, but also it seems like it actually did. And I'm Hank Green, and my tagline is, you can't really count on the sun. Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up a maze and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory. 
but we're also keeping score and we award Sam bucks from week to week. We do everything we can to stay on topic, but judging by the intro of this podcast, we won't always be great <laughs> at that. So if the team deems you tangent unworthy, we'll force you to give up one of your Sam bucks. So tangent with care, especially about motorsports. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week for the first time in a while, it feels like from me. This poem is entitled Daydream. It has a title. Who's that actor getting out of that Mercedes Benz? I don't know, but you saw it using an anatomical lens. Oh, he's that Australian. I think his name is Russell. I can't see him, but you're doing it with your ciliary muscle. I wonder how old he is. He looks like he could be a boomer. I don't know, but I know that his image travels through your aqueous humor. And who's that with him from Wonder Woman? Ah, what a gal. You'd have a much harder time seeing her without your Schlem's canal. She's on ice skates. She just did a, a, a sow cow. I think it was quadruple. I didn't see it, but you only saw it with the help of a pupil. And Russell, now he's walking an animal. It looks like some kind of chimera. I don't know what it is, but neither would you if you didn't have a sclera. Oh, and now Gal, she looks so cold, she could have hypothermia. Maybe so and maybe not, but you're seeing it with a cornea. That one was a stretch. I'm starting to think that you can't see anything at all. That's true, my friend. I don't exist. You're staring at a wall. Oh. Twisted it around at the end there. Uh Uh-huh. Who on earth is the Australian guy named Russell? Russell Crowe from Gladiator. Uh, I assume there's a specific movie. And does it have to do with the topic or? No, it's just a daydream, Or just that we're watching a movie. Okay. It's not even a movie, Stefan. No. <laughs> We've left Stefan behind. <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of movies. I thought maybe there was like a movie that was called Eyeballs. <laughs> Starring Russell Crowe and Gal Gadot. It's yeah. especially great because their names rhyme, which was not yeah. intentional. Which didn't even rhyme them in the poem, right? <laughs> did not. Did not. <laughs> Half of those parts of the eye I've never heard of. Yeah, yeah. Schlem's but canal. Then you got, that was new Yeah, what the hell is that? <laughs> it moves aqueous humor around your eye, which apparently is important mm. for some reason. Sounds important. Yeah. So, uh, so our topic for the day is eyeballs. I think it's specifically eyeballs. So if anybody comes to me with yeah. eye spot facts, then you're in trouble. Ooh. But we'll see. We'll see when we get there. Sari, what is an eyeball? So an eyeball, I guess, to distinguish it from an eye spot is a specialized organ of the visual system. So instead of just like a specialized patch of cells, it has specialized beyond that to be like such a cluster of cells that they're like, that's a different tissue. That's a ball, in fact. And it's used for vision. They don't have to be balls, though. They can be like discs or football shapes. Owls have like tubes or something, right? Yeah, I think they're like long in some way. Mm-hmm. Do compound eyes count? I think a compound lens is an eye, like an eye that's a ball, but it's not an eyeball. Well, colloquially speak, colloquially speak, <laughs> <laughs> colloquially speak. Don't you dare edit that out either. <laughs> I think eye spots are eyeballs. I think compound eyes are eyeballs. Mm-hmm. What slugs have mm-hmm. on top of their little things, those are eyeballs. <laughs> Sam thinks it's all eyeballs. To me. I disagree. <laughs> Uh, but but eyes, they see. There are things that see that are ball-shaped. Do you have an mm. etymology of eyeball? I don't know where the, the ball part comes from <laughs> and the eye part. I know where the word eyeball comes from. I didn't look up eyeball specifically. Yeah. Like there wasn't in the etymology dictionary. But eye is from the Proto-Indo-European root OKW, 
not sure how you pronounce it. In my head, it's like the Cardi B Okert thing that I can't do with my mouth. It's like one of those things where humans have had eyes and so we've had to describe them in some way. So it's Um, all one. Yeah, OKW means to see. And then the Germanic forms evolved from there to from like Algo or Oog. Or mm-hmm. auga, <laughs> any any combination of like G's, A's, um, O's, and then eventually made its way to I. I think people used to think that Shakespeare invented the word eyeball, but I don't think, I think they found an older thing that predated him mm. just barely. But it's from about that time. Whenever that time was, I have no idea. And now I think it's time for One of our panelists has brought three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of those facts is real. The rest of us have to figure out either by deduction or wild guess, which is the true fact. And if we do, we get a a Sam Buck. If we don't, then the presenter, who is Sam this week, gets a Sam Buck. You can play along at home at twitter.com slash scishowtangents, but don't click until you've heard all the facts. Sam, what are your facts for us today? So if you have eyes, you're pretty familiar with the way that eyes move. They go up and down and Mm -hmm. left and right, you know, pretty much like on the same axis. But there are some animals out there that can move their eyes in weirder and more fun ways than people can. (laughs) So which of these is true? Number one, many sharks and rays have eyelids that they can close to protect their eyes when they're attacking prey. But the guitar fish, which is a ray that basically looks just like a flat shark, does things a little differently. It has a muscle in its head that can yank its eyeballs into its skull. Number two. Bats spend pretty much all their time that they aren't flying around hanging upside down, which means that they're always seeing the world upside down. But the bulldog bat family has developed a special trick. Eyes that can rotate around so that everything is right side up. Scientists have found that this adaptation helps them get oriented faster when taking flight, reducing midair collisions. No fucking way. But yeah, go ahead. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, the Spinosaurus have many adaptations that lead researchers to believe that's the only dinosaur able to swim. But some other researchers believe it has another unique distinction. It's the only dinosaur with independent eye movement. It might have had eye structure similar to a chameleon that both protected much of the eye when it was underwater and allowed it to track multiple swimming targets at once. Ooh, okay, I like them. So we've got our three facts. The guitar fish can use muscles that pull its eyes inside its skull. The bulldog bat can rotate their eyes to maintain orientation when hanging upside down. Or the spinosaurus has skull structures that suggest they had independent eye movement. I've already said my piece about the bat. (laughs) Well, maybe there's like, they can put little lead weights in there so it's always right side up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. It's like a gyroscope in nature. I can absolutely believe that there's something weird out there where it's like, oh, it just rotates around. It's it's in fluid and the only connection is something that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. We're using it for space stations now. <laughs> and I really want them when they're flying to like do a barrel roll, but their eyes stay in the mm-hmm. same orientation while they spin around. Yeah. Their eyes don't necessarily stay in the same orientation. They can move mm. the orientation of Right, right. It doesn't just float there like one of those <laughs> globey things that no, you like, like spin, the but the globe stays in the same place. We've got guitar fish. This seems per- per- like perfectly reasonable that a, that a, a fish would be able to yank its eyes into its skull. Where where's the room for it though? We don't have any room in our skull yeah. for eyes to be sucked. Well, in. Yeah, we're not but a guitar fish. fish. 
Okay. Fish got empty heads, man. There's nothing in there. There's nothing in there. Sherry, <laughs> have you ever tried to yank your eyes into your head? No. Okay, try. But- Look at, I need to see you. Look at me and try to yank your eyes into your head. I just want to see what it looks like. Mm. No, <laughs> don't do it. Because what if you do it? No, I'm not going <laughs> to. I think if you plugged your nose up real good and snorted really hard at the same That's time. That's going to blow my eyes out. Maybe something would happen. <laughs> all right, Sam, you seem to have all the, yeah. all the all, like you've got, got it figured out. Why don't you do it? Because I know I know I could and it, and I couldn't get him back out if I did. <laughs> Too powerful. <laughs> Too powerful. Him. Okay, I'm gonna do it. Oh, he did it. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then our last fact also also seemed really cool. The spinosaurus skull having structures. So I had chameleon eyes. And that seems like yeah. that that would be interesting because we like this surprising thing about dinosaurs, we like figure out these stupid little amazing things by looking at like muscle connection points and we're like oh the only reason that would be there is if they had chameleon eyes and i could see it being a weird adaptation when eyes were first i don't know early on earlier on in eye development (laughs) where it was like of course it would come up more than once that it's cool to watch prey Mm -hmm. in more than one place because you're hungry and you want to protect yourself and find more things to eat I'm going for I'm going for the alligator fish, the guitar fish, the guitar fish. Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, alligators and guitars—they uh, look a lot alike. Uh, I will also go for the guitar fish. Whoa! Yes. Oh no, I was leaning towards guitar fish, but do we want to go all in? <laughs> All right, let's do it. Let's make a gamble. Wow. Everyone on guitar oh, fish. Everybody, we're on all guitar in, fish. baby. Ooh, that's so scary. <laughs> So now it is time for you to go vote at twitter.com slash scishowtangents and to see what you pick. Do you vote with us with Guitarfish or do you vote your own independent way? Free yourself from our tyranny. Sam, what is the true fact? <laughs> well, look, okay, it's the Guitarfish. Oh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh, scary. So the Guitarfish can suck both its eyes into its head. It has one long muscle that runs along the bottom of its skull wow. and hooks up to like the muscles around its two eyes. And when it's about to get a crab or whatever they eat, crabs are one of the things they eat, mm-hmm. and it's going to dive into the dirt. It <sighs> soup, sucks its eyes up into his head and gets a crab. And other oh. rays and sharks do not do this. They just have like a protective eyelid that goes over their, their eyeballs. But they're looking at other ones right now, actually, to, to see if maybe they do do it. And they also have a protective lid, but the guitarfish don't have a lid. They, they don't have go, a lid. Whoop. They just suck their eye in. As far mm. as I could tell, they just suck their eye in. It can go two inches. In, it goes two inches into their head. <laughs> wow, that's far. Huh. Seems quite far, yeah. Does their skin just kind of pucker over it? Is that what protects yeah, it? Yeah, it looks weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There will be a, a, a picture of it in the sources. but I'm, I'm looking at it right now, it. and I'm getting the... <laughs> Getting a you know physiological vibe from it. It looks. It's got a but a butthole vibe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of clenchiness to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The the bat thing I made up. It would be cool if bats could do it. It seems like it would be really useful for them. But uh, goats and sheep sort of can move their eyeballs on that different mm. axis than mm. than we can. They have eyes with horizontal pupils, mm. obviously, so they're good at panoramic vision. But when they bend their heads down to graze, they can move their eyes up to fifty degrees to match wow. the horizon oh. to keep it 
to keep the panorama going so they're not just looking at the sky and the dirt. Yeah. And bats do smack into each other a lot when they're flying out in their big groups <laughs> at, in, at night, but they're generally fine. They recover from it and do not die from smacking <laughs> into each other or anything. Uh, and Spinosaurus was really the only dinosaur that they think could properly swim. Uh, it had big flat feet and super dense bones that let it be able to submerge itself. And I guess other dinosaurs maybe had two porous of bones and would float or something like that. Uh, and its nostrils are set really back, far, far back on its head, so it could keep them above water, but it did not have special eyes, as far as they know. Maybe they, maybe they did. <laughs> it's true. Never, There's no I've way never to actually prove I'm wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, boy. We went all in. Sam, I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. I mean, you needed the point. I don't uh, Stefan and Sari are still locked in a tie, I think. <laughs> All right. Everybody, we're going to go uh, for a short break, and then it'll be time for the Fact Off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Miriam Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster... (laughs) Use some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand, the only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, They sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing around the office of their MGO 850 plus their best selling honey. It's not the same. (laughs) It's not what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. 
It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 plus Manuka honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome back, everybody. We've got Stefan and Sari tied with one, Sam with none, and me in the lead <sighs> for once with two points. But I will not end in the lead because, well, because I don't have any more opportunities to get points. Uh, because now it is time for Stefan versus Sari in the fact off. Two panelists have brought science facts presented to the others in an attempt to blow our minds, and we get a sandbuck to award the fact that we like the most. And to discover who's going to go first, we're going to answer a trivia question. Of the six million cones in the human retina, approximately how many of them are red cones? You can say a number, or you can say a percentage. But a, the percentage would probably be easier. I'm going to say one-fifth. One-fifth of the That's interesting. This question only makes sense if it's not split evenly. But I sort of, I don't know, red seems more important to me. It's also my favorite color, I think. So I'll say two-fifths. Hey, we didn't say fractions. or (gasps) 40%. 40%. Yeah, 20%. We can do quick math. You're making this so hard for us. Uh, No, I can can do fractions now the actual answer is two-thirds ish 64 percent yeah yeah red, so red is better yeah i thought okay. it was green i thought we were all in on green no green's the hardest to see i think the terrible news is that i don't know why i don't know why there are more red cones. i just know that there are um and that means that stefan gets to go first or choose Who goes first? Yeah, sure. I'll go first. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. So diabetes is a disease, and the main long-term complication with diabetes is that your blood vessels get damaged. This includes the blood vessels in your eyeballs. And so over time, this can lead to diabetic retinopathy, which is also known as creeping blindness, because as the blood vessels are damaged, there's less blood flow, and so you get less oxygen to the nerve cells in your retina, so they eventually die. Apparently, the body tries to regrow the blood vessels, but it does a bad job, and that makes everything worse. So the two things that it seems like you can try to do is inject medicine into the eyeball that inhibits that blood vessel growth, or you can use a laser to burn away cells on the peripheral parts of the retina, and that reduces the overall oxygen needs of the eyeball so that the limited resources that do make it up there can get focused on the more important cells that are at the center of the retina. And we suspect that a lot of the damage that's happening in the eye happens at night when we're sleeping hmm. and everything is dark because the we have the rod cells and the cone cells 
rod cells work better in dimmer light and that's how we have our low light vision. And so when it's dark, the rod cells oxygen needs double. Hmm. And so it needs more oxygen. It's not getting it more damage. So there's this idea that if we could keep the rods from experiencing darkness while people are sleeping, we could prevent them from needing more oxygen and and prevent that damage. And so previously we had tried using like sleep masks that shine lights into people's eyes. Um, <laughs> this but, is great. We're going to save their vision, but also we're just it's like actual torture. <laughs> yes. Yes. Unsurprisingly, people found it distracting to have lights shown to shine in their eyes while they're trying to sleep. And also, I guess our eyes roll back once we're asleep. And so Whoa. like the retina is not even receiving that light anyways at mm. that point. So Colin Cook, Caltech graduate, came up with this idea to use glowing contact lenses to achieve that same effect, but without needing to do anything invasive or painful or distracting. It's, it's you know, a standard contact lens, but then it has a circle of tiny tritium-filled vials. Mm. And so that's like a radioactive version of hydrogen gas. And then there's a phosphorescent coating on these vials. So they glow. They're, <laughs> they're very tiny. Each vial is like the thickness of a few human hairs. Mm-hmm. And they're arranged in this circle. But the circle is large enough. And like because it's right up against your eye, it's big enough that while you're awake, the circle is outside your field of view. So you don't see it glowing because mm-hmm. it's glowing all the time. But then when it gets dark and your pupils dilate, then they let in the light from this glowing circle. Oh, my God. And that stimulates the rods. And so their energy needs don't jump up. And they also noted that because this light source is moving with your eye, it's a very like constant thing. And our brain is good at like tuning those kinds of things out. So after a while, you don't even really consciously register the light. And so it doesn't distract you from falling asleep. And in the testing they've done so far, they found that the rod activity was reduced by 90% mm. with people who are wearing the contacts. We don't know yet if this will actually translate to reducing the blindness, but that's like the next steps. But it's, it's just seemed like such a cool thing. Tritium does release ionizing radiation, which is why it is able, <laughs> ah, to, why it is able to make this stuff phosphoresce. I don't know if I want to put... <laughs> It's not very much. I understand They're it's not very much. tiny vials. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I want to put ionizing radiation on my literal eyeball. Yeah, wow. it feels like that wouldn't help with the damage in the long term. Yeah. Like some some extra uh, DNA damage in some cells might just does pop seem, off in there. Does seem worrying. I w- I don't want to get eyeball cancer. <laughs> But it, and it also occurs to me that this would be a good way to prove out this theory at the very least that mm-hmm. the problem right. is the the overactivity in these cells while you're there, there's no light because they work harder yeah. when there's no light and need more oxygen. Yeah, it seems like we just haven't had a good way to actually like get people to comply with whatever like protocol right. they're. You know, <laughs> it it also seems to me like wild that our bodies yeah. will expend more energy during darkness. Like it's it's harder to not receive information than to receive information for those cells. They're just yeah. like, oh, oh, shit, it's dark. I'm going to try really hard to see, but it's the <laughs> darkness of your so own eyes being see. closed. Even though, like, I know that your eyes are going to be closed for like eight hours a day. I'm still <laughs> yeah. going to try really hard the whole exercise. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, the, it's the <laughs> only part of your body that exercises while you sleep. If I can capture that from my freaking pecs. Okay. I love that fact. And I love that this is a real thing that exists and that they've used. 
All right, Sari, what do you have for us? So nature is full of symmetry, and we also really like recognizing symmetry when we see it, whether it's the bilateral symmetry of our bodies or radial symmetry in a snowflake. I guess I have a tangent in here already. I think this is why we have such a fascination with asymmetrical (laughs) things like heterochromia, iridium, when a human or a dog or some other animal has two different colored irises, like a brown Mm. eye and a blue eye. And we're like, ooh, asymmetrical. That's cool. So that eye phenomenon is just caused by a genetic or a traumatic variation in pigment for some reason. But there is a much more extreme asymmetrical eye situation in the animal kingdom. And let me introduce you to the cockeyed squid. They live in the mesopelagic part of the sea, so 200 to 1,000 meters deep. Not the pitch black darkest, but not exactly bright from sunlight. And to survive here, they have two radically different eyes. Mm. One is a small eye with a clear lens, so it looks black when we look into it. It's like fairly standard for a squid eye. But the other one is comparatively giant and bulbous with a big yellow lens. And in a 2017 paper, Kate Thomas of Duke University did studies on 30 years of 152 or so sightings of Histiotuthis heteropsis, which is one of the species of the cockeyed squid. And they did some simulations of these two different eyes to figure out why they are so radically different. So the squid swims along in what looks like an upside down orientation to us with like tentacles faced towards the surface Mm -hmm. so that its eyes are oriented in different directions. And the small eye almost always points downwards and scans the deeper ocean for any flashes of bioluminescence in the otherwise dark water. And the size of the eye doesn't really matter here, just as long as you have some sort of like vision thing, a light-sensing organ to catch a flash coming from below. And the big yellow eye almost always points up towards sunlight to look for the silhouettes of anything swimming above it. And in that case, the increased size greatly helps the amount of light the eye can detect, and especially the size combined with the yellow pigmentation helps it tell the difference between just ambient light up there and reflective camouflage from organisms like lanternfish and shrimp and other things that it wants to eat. And so the researchers are looking at the squid and are like, why did you evolve two eyes? Everything else is symmetrical. And their only guess is that it's biologically taxing to devote energy to two giant yellow eyes, Mm -hmm. which like presumably could also look down and see small flashes of light. And so instead of having both eye adaptations, something weird genetically flipped and it has two distinct eye adaptations so that it only has to put energy into specializing one and the other one can be boring and like (laughs) relatively low energy for a vision organ. And that's just weird because there aren't many asymmetrical animals in nature, but the squid is like, I got you. Apparently there is a lot of eye diversity in this layer of the ocean though, because the light situation is so varied. So this is one of the most eye diverse <laughs> places in the ocean. You're going to have a lot of weird eyes here. It looks diseased. Yeah, a couple pictures do a really good job of showing how big and weird the big eye is. Did did squids develop eyeballs separate? They must have, yeah, separately from us. It would have had to be so long ago where oh, we yeah. developed eyes. We are yeah. not closely related to squids. Invertebrates. Yeah. Squids evolved from like clams. We did not evolve from clams. We all got there in eyes except for plants. What the heck's wrong with plants? <laughs> the, the plants can detect light in some ways. Yeah, they don't got balls though. They don't got balls. <laughs> it's true. Steph, thank you for making that clear. 
<laughs> All right, Sam, do you want to vote with me on what I your do. favorite fact is? To Three, two, one, Steph. Stephen. Oh. oh, interesting. Oh my gosh, how the turntables. Now it's time to ask the science couch for we've got listener questions for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. It's from at Fox Naruto Max. Why do we only have the regular circle pupils? I want pupils like cats or like frogs. Is that so hard? (laughs) (laughs) There are different hypotheses as far as pupil shapes, but it seems like a lot of people refer back to this one 2015 paper in which researchers studied 214 terrestrial animals. So did not count the fishes and the Mm -hmm. sucking into your eye guitar fish or the the cockeyed squids of the world and sorted different eye shapes and how they got their food. So... There's like vertical eyes, circular eyes, horizontal eyes, like we've been talking about. And then there's herbivorous animals, ambush predators, or active is the other category, which I'm guessing is just like actively scavenging. Maybe they're like omnivorous. And they found that there's a relationship between the ecological niche and the pupil shape. So herbivorous animals, so like the goats of the world, are more likely to have horizontal pupils. Diurnal predators, so you need more variation between day and night, have circular pupils, and then nocturnal or polyphasic sleeping during the day. Predators have vertical pupils. So it depends on what kinds of eye muscles you need to control light during the times of the day that you find food. And so it's like your, your eyes specialize to when you're awake. And so probably like the behavioral cycles of, of your circadian rhythms and and those patterns of like when when other members of your species are awake and when you can forage for food and when mm-hmm. you can like be social and when you need rest then had an influence on eye shape because the muscles of your eye adapted to when you were awake well what is interesting to me is that it seems like if you're going to make a thing that can contract and expand circle is by far the easiest shape mm-hmm. to make But it seems like that doesn't matter that much because vision is such an important sense that it's like, whatever works best, (laughs) we will invest the evolutionary, like, like the, the advantage will matter Mm -hmm. so that the, like different pupil shapes will happen to the point where like goat pupils, I'm like, that doesn't seem possible. It isn't, I don't (laughs) understand physiologically how the muscles create a, a rectangle. Yeah. And, and like the advantage that these researchers thinks think it gives and i guess we can only simulate other eyes we can't necessarily like see through them yet until we have a neural link (laughs) technology so we can see inside (laughs) their brains but the rectangular eyes help them get a more panoramic view kind of like you were describing sam where they can like adjust for the horizon so they can watch out for predators that are around Mm because they don't really need to see the grass so they can have like a wider range of vision than us or in the case of cats, they can like really laser focus in on on what their prey is as they ambush or get a lot of light if they need to. Like if you've ever seen a cat in the dark, they're just like big eyes. Big eyes. They got those big eyes. It's really cute. I like it when <laughs> they get real dilated. But uh, why do we only have the regular kind? It's because we're all related to each other and... It was advantageous to have the regular kind. But I'm not saying to give up on your dreams, Naruto. (laughs) I am saying to give up on your dreams. (laughs) Unless you want like a colored contact lens or something like that. Especially for a ninja like Naruto. 
a, a cat eye would be much more useful, I think. If you want to ask the Science Couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Hemoglobed, at ActuallyGimli, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this episode. Our followers and listeners have the best Twitter handle aesthetic. <laughs> All right, that brings us to our Sandbox final scores. Sari has one. I've got two. Stefan has three. And Sam has nothing. <sighs> which means that Sari and Stefan are still tied. Is that right? And also, somehow, Sam is now, like, almost all the way back there with me. <laughs> Doing a really bad job. <laughs> yeah. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show. And also, maybe there's an algorithm somewhere that's like, <laughs> delicious. Second, tweet out your favorite moment from the episode. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stephen Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Kevin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our social media organizer is Paolo Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Dubuki Chakravarty. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. Between 2015 and 2018, scientists in Botswana took 683 cows and painted eyes on their butts to see if they could deter predators. They compared the fates of these cows to a group that had cross marks painted on their butts and a group that remained completely unpainted and found that none of the butt eye group were killed by predators. Meanwhile, four of the cows with cross marks and 15 of the unmarked cows were eaten. The theory is that lions and other ambush predators see the eyes and think they've been (laughs) spotted and so don't even try for it. I want booty shorts with eyes on the back of them. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. (laughs) I think that'd be great. That'd be my new favorite, like, I'm going for a run outfit. (laughs) 